This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. Hello, and welcome to the Plugged In Podcast, where we talk with founders and CEOs in order to bring you the real stories of failures and triumphs, highs and lows they've experienced on their journey toward success. We will go in-depth with our guests to give you insights into how they have taken an idea from concept to realization, making those first key hires to building the right team, scaling revenues, how they overcame obstacles, and much more as we learn how they achieve success. This is the podcast that you want to subscribe to if you want to learn how to succeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Plugged In. After a few months off for the summer and for the Jewish holidays, I am back. My name is Ellie Mandelbaum, an industry veteran who decided to do more than just listen to podcasts, but actually start one in which I interview people much smarter than me. In this episode, we are speaking with Gil Dudkevich, CEO and co-founder of Startup, which in short, builds solutions for app developers to help them monetize, advertise, and aggregate data in their apps. Gil has been at the forefront of the mobile ad tech community for at least eight, ten years, I think, as long as I've known him. They're enabling apps to add blockchain technology now and are one of the largest, I would say, SDKs out there behind, I think it is, and you can correct me later on, Google and Apple. Gil, welcome to the show. I hope I covered everything. If not, why don't you fill in the blanks on your background? The first question I want to ask is, how do you get started in your career? My first one in the consulting company, there are two things that stick with me, which are more than 20 years ago, but one of them, how to manage a balance sheet. Most people, most entrepreneurs look on the balance sheet and look on the, only on the revenue line. And there is a sentence that my former CEO said to me, you know, there are two lines in the balance sheet. One of them you always meet, which is usually the expense line. Uh, so I'm trying to measure carefully also both the expenses and not only the revenue. And that's part of the reason that we were able to build this company with probably the little amount of money that was raised for such a company. Uh, and the second one is that you need the right people for the right job. There is no just good and bad people. Depends how you define the company. Depends what you're really looking for. You need to make sure that you have the right people that can go with you and do it. Uh, and over there, we try to do things not necessarily with the right people, uh, and it didn't really serve well. So I'm trying to make sure that it's not with the smartest person or with the most expensive or the cheapest or whatever, it's actually with the right person for the right job. Got it. Uh, Got it. And so is there anything that you that you know you were really challenged at early on or you failed at that, you know, better let's go to, you know, your, your first startup, right? You know, Again, it was a really difficult time. The bubble was really, you know, it was great up until a few years, and then all of a sudden, 2000 came, and things just started hitting the fan. You know, what did you learn from it, you know, from the failure of that first startup? And so far, the startup didn't really fail. Eventually, the startup was sold. Oh, it was? Okay. Yeah. But saying that you don't really learn from failures is like, you know, you need to be either stupid or a liar to say that you never really learn from failures and you didn't have ones. Uh, but I think for me, I'm not sure if it's a fellow, but it's really an experience that stuck in my head is that I started a company, I remember the day, January 7th, 2000, the market started collapsing in March 2000, and I raised the money in May 2000. And I had a partner that we decided to start a company together, um, and I was like, 
really confident. I'm an MBA from Berkeley in the Silicon Valley. I can raise money like a piece of cake. I didn't know the market is going to collapse. And I told him he was older than I am that he can stick and walk and I'll raise the money. And once he raised $500,000, he'll quit and join me. Mm-hmm. And I raised the money and he was still concerned that it won't be enough, that he can't really find a job if it won't be successful. And he told him, you know, then I'm not continuing together. Uh, and I was actually ready to give the money back to the investors. I told them, guys, he invested in both of us. There's only one of us that's really willing to commit. So it's not a deal that you signed for. It's up to you to decide if you, are, you, know, if you want to continue or not. And luckily, the VC that invested was a Japanese uh, VC that really appreciate the honesty and the transparency and, uh, you know, coming forward and said that we were willing to bring the money back and say, hey, please continue, and we continue since. So we learned a lot of things of how to start a company, how, you know, things can look to you like they can crash in the first day. And apparently nothing is as good as it may seem and nothing is as bad as it may seem. So <laughs> you should start, you know, start focus and continue to work. That's a, it's a good story there. I mean, you know, that's something that you don't really hear a lot. You know, usually when, you know, you raise the money and even though crap, it's the fan in a sense. And, you know, it's very rare that you find someone that goes back to the investing. You know what? This isn't what you signed. You know, it's not right that I take. You don't, you know, that's a, you don't have to do that. No, I don't. You, know, you really did. I mean, I mean, you, you really did. I mean, so that's, I mean, that takes a lot of uh, maturity from, from your side. So, now, why don't we go into startup now? So, you know, how'd you come up with the idea? And again, just so people understand, startup is probably one of the largest, I think, the largest SDK outside of Google and Facebook. Yes. So, there is 2010. I was after founding and selling uh, Mighty TV or Mivi. And I was after being the CEO of Sweet Hand that was sold afterwards to Perion. And I came to being an EIR at a CEDAW fund, which essentially a very nice and generous offer on their behalf to kind of financing uh, me thinking about what do I want to do next without really any, any commitment aside of gentleman commitment. And I was really debating, should I go and be CEO of a well-established company or should I start a company on my own? Um, and financially, work-wise, I'm not really sure which one of them is better. Mm-hmm. But eventually, it comes together two things at the same time. One of them is that I really wanted to have my DNA in a company. It's probably one of the most hardest things to do is to change the DNA of the company. And hence, I wanted the DNA to be the DNA that I want to be in the company. So that's the first thing that made me decide that I want to start my own company. And secondly, I looked, and that was, I'm saying began 2010, it was the early adoption of the mobile phones. And the iPhone came in 2008, it's clear that it's going to be a boom, but it wasn't yet spread as well. And I realized that that's going to be a revolution. It's going to be like, you know, the internet in 2000, that's going to be the second wave, and that's going to be even bigger. And I think that's probably one of the only industries that the reality actually hit the projection and did better than all the governments and other projections in terms of how the market is going to evolve. So I really want to be part of it. So the combination of both of them seems to me something that they want to do uh, and start a company in this space. So, so you know, 
when you started the company, right? So what, what is it? Let me go even ask a better question. When is a company the same today as it was when you started? No. Okay. So when you started the company, what was the initial idea for startup? But it's not the same because it's like swimming. You know, you always need to move forward. Mm-hmm. You can't really do the same for eight years. The company is eight and a half years. It's evolving. It's, it's evolving. Okay. The essence, a lot of it is the same. From the get-go, we wanted to do advertising. We started with something around the search to kind of break the chicken and egg, but we wanted it from the get-go to do advertising, mm-hmm. and we still do a lot of advertising today, 100% mobile. So in this regard, it's the same. Uh, but as a company, we always try to do new things, and we always try to innovate. So today, there is a big portion of the data that is probably going to be the lead for the company more than the advertising in the near future. Got it. And so when did you start seeing traction with, you know, in, in you know, you launched in 2010. Um, you know, how long did it take you to build a product? Insanely fast. I never in my life saw something <laughs> moving as fast. We started the company December 2010. And my partner, I think that was one of my biggest challenges to find the right partner that they want to work with. And him, even more than I said, we have to go with an MVP as fast as possible. It doesn't have to be the perfect product, but we want to go with MVP as fast as possible and learn. So in March 2011, like three or four months after we started, we had an MVP in the marketplace. We put, I think it was $2,500 in order, either $2,500 in order to get the first thousand users or the other way around. Okay? And in three months, we got more than 500,000 users, okay. which was insanely fast for us. And so you, you, you show, just so the audience understands, the user was the app developers or the, the end user? The app developers. Oh, so. It's always the users in our mind because you can't okay. really do anything without you know, making sure that the user will like, accept, or depends on the product. But... We are selling many to publishers. And so, you, you, so on the on the twenty one hundred dollar budget that you had, you were able to get five hundred thousand users. users in in what three months? Yes. What did you like? You, know, you had to be overwhelmed. Like, we, yeah, it, this, did you have an issue scaling? Did you have? Because a lot of people don't really think. Okay, yeah, I'll get ten thousand. I'll get fifteen, twenty. Maybe I'll get fifty thousand in, in, in that. And scaling isn't it, but when you get to 500,000 in such a short time, are you, were you prepared for it? Not really. Okay. So we always had the argument that I told my team that the risk of not being ready is higher than the risk of paying too much for the infrastructure. And, and if something is actually happening, it can be three weeks of what they're looking for, not necessarily 10% more. Okay. So we did not really have too much issue in terms of scalability. But it comes with like it comes with the PR, it comes with like many things that we are not ready. We want to be undercover and you know just do stuff quietly and figure out what's the best product and all of a sudden boom it's like half a million users and growing extremely fast. Um, and we also had a challenge in the company, if you know we put targets for hey if you reach this target both on the product and the business side, we'll go and have some fun and with like three weeks of this in the first year, and we just took all the company to Italy in the first year, which was unheard of, you know, 10 mm-hmm. people going with the family and like, traveling <laughs> just because we just... You killed it. Yeah, we killed it. So, so, you know, I want to touch on something, though, that, that you know, 
that you mentioned, because I, I think a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of people, you know, it's, it's always a debate, right? Do you focus on your product, 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 and wait till it's perfect? Or do you just get the product out to market and iterate as it goes along so you're actually able to see what the market's telling you what to do? And, you know, for you guys, it seemed it worked, right? But why, like, did you have pushback from your co-founder? Like, what was the... No, it depends first, I think, also on... It depends on the culture and it depends on the product that you want to build, okay? If it's life-saving, mission-critical product that you put into health, you know, yeah. whatever, then you have to make sure that it's 100% safe and you check it 100 times mm-hmm. and, you know, check and keep checking, etc. okay? You can't come to the market with a car that is not safe. Okay? Mm-hmm. It's, it's built this way that you have to design it almost perfectly. Okay? The cost of putting the fab for doing semiconductor, you need to make sure that you tested it as an ongoing basis. We are living in a software world. So we do continuous development, continuous deployment. As of now, I can't even tell you how many versions we had for SDK. It's in the hundreds of thousands of different versions that come every week, every other week. We can't even test it internally as much because the amount of variations of the different platforms, different combination of software and other applications and other devices and other telcos or whatever, you can't even test it in the lab in an efficient way without having it way too late. Okay, so we use crowdsourcing for testing it, and we react fast. If something that we put up doesn't really work well, we call it back and change it. Okay, so not necessarily it works with everything that you do. Got it. And so, you know, I want to touch a bit upon the acquisition model you had to get the 500,000 you know, developers early on, and even post it, and then also the revenue model. Again, this is early stage of the company, right? So what was your acquisition model? Were you just trying to, did you have people on your team reaching out to them? Did you just do mass marketing to, you know, to users? All of the above and more, okay? Uh, We first, you know, I really believe in data and I really believe in data science and analysts, etc. So almost from day one, we had an incredible data scientist in the company that helped us to measure what's the lifetime value of user, what's the lifetime value of user coming from different sources, etc. So from the get-go, we knew how to interior buy users, buy up developers and work with them. Uh, we did tons of legwork. There are many years that we've been in more than 100 different conferences and meetups annually, just meeting the small to mid-sized publishers, going, building the brand, talking to them, to any of them, okay? Uh, just this week, I got a call from one of the partners that we work with, and he said, hey, I'm switching to work with you just because, you know, you answer my call and the other company doesn't really seem to care as much, okay? So we care about our customers. We try really hard. Um, but we also came in the beginning with a unique business model that we were willing to take the risk on us. We measure what we believe the lifetime value of you know, a publisher or user should be, and we were willing to, commit, willing to commit upfront to the amount of money that we should pay to them. And for many of the publishers, having the company saying straightforward, hey, this is how much I'm going to get, was, you know, was for them amazing. And so, but so you offering guarantees to them in a sense, a commitment yeah. to revenue. But you were basing that on the numbers that you were able to really say, okay, this is how many users they have. This is, and you back so, everything. So, up. so it's not 
the negotiation that you see today, hey, this is a partner or app developer with a million users and this and that MA user will table and this is how much you're willing to pay. We came totally up front on our website, this is how much we pay per user in different country, simplified it as simple as possible, put it clear over there, that's the offering, that's what you get, no surprises. Right, so, so, so two questions on that. So one is, did you find that your projections were on target? The projections were on target, but obviously the market evolved. So you increase the numbers, you reduce the number, you change the offering to many different attributes, but generally speaking, we were on target. We did amazing good work with this. And, and so the app developers must have been like, wow, this is fantastic. Yeah, and, and so that was, that was, was, that, was that your best form of marketing that you could I, do? I think that was probably the most innovative one. I think we reached more than 700,000 app developers that have integrated the SDK. And it, it just, just, so people, just so people understand, integrating SDK is not a simple thing. No, that's been a plus. That's been a major plus. I'm putting in simple layman words, I'm taking someone else's code and I'm putting inside my code and I'm trusting that they're not going to crush my application. Correct. And then you, you also, okay, for developers have a production cycle, you know, was it iOS and Android to begin with or was it Android first? We started with Android, but very soon we had both. Uh, I think Android is still the predominant it's, uh, it's also platform easy, in the market. It's, easy, it's much easier to integrate SDN. Yes, into. it's much easier to go faster and do again and again and change and yeah. put more. And it's cheaper as well, so it's more dominant worldwide. Mm-hmm. Uh, by far, it's probably 80 to if not more worldwide. Um, but we do both. Got it. So, I mean, this, and, and are you still, do you still have that model today with, with developers? So not, not in the same format today. Uh, the market also evolved, mm-hmm. but we also build the brand as well. So we have today about 20,000 new apps that are integrating the SDK every month. They're coming to our website and download the SDK and go live with zero human intervention. So the brand still works on this. Got it. So uh, let's move a little bit you know, from the actual you know, modeling of the company and revenue, etc., to... You know what you said—the DNA, right? So, you want to build the DNA of the company. You want to have your, your influence on it, right? So, you know when you started out, your first hires, right? So, what were you looking for? And again, the first hires are always critical to building the company. Yeah. And so, the first hire will actually take people and business from the get-go, both both of them. And I think the first few people were people that we worked in the past. So on the business side, it was someone that was my VP marketing in my previous company, and he was here the CMO and CRO and GM of advertising and GM of that. He was doing many of the jobs here. And, and the VP R&D was working with Ryan with my partner as well in his previous company. So we brought the first people that we bought was people that we knew from the get-go. Generally speaking, even today, about 70% of the people are referrals, our friends bringing friends. We saw that it works the best for us. We always try to hire both engineering and business. If it wasn't only, hey, it's just engineering, just business, we're always a balanced company, but also very diversified. It's a company that I'm very proud to say that more than 50% of it are female. Uh, including in every position, engineering, management, etc. And we have offices worldwide. In each one of the offices, the person that manages the offices are local. So if it's in India, it's someone from India. If it's China, it's someone from China. And it's not 
I'm so, sending people from Israel, believing those are the smartest people in the universe. So you, you source local talent? Yes, we do. Got it. And did you bring them... So that goes to my next question. I mean, so, right, so you... you Hiring people and primarily people that referrals, which is a you know, smart idea, and I don't need to tell you that, but building the company culture across so many different offices, right, and getting everybody on the same page, especially when you hire local talent, it can't be easy. No, it's not easy, but you know, we're not looking for easy. This is, this is boring in the sense that they would have to you can't really expect easy. But, but we do, first you have to accept the things in India and China and U.S. and Kiev are working a bit differently, okay? For many different reasons, okay? The pace in India is totally different than the pace in the U.S. Okay? There are different ways of working. But we make sure that all the employees are coming for training in Israel, okay? So mm-hmm. we have every single one of the employees coming in the beginning for usually a couple of weeks of training, depends on what they do. Mm-hmm. Okay. We do sales uh, off-site, we do many different meetings with everyone together. Uh, we make sure that we're sending updates to everyone, they have access to the systems. Uh, we send people, you know, the offices to other, send people from here to other offices to make sure that we can help with the training. So we do a lot of effort on this, and yeah, it's very challenging. And, and so, you know, how did you come up with this, right? So you, as you're building and as you're hiring more people and you're, how did you come about implementing those strategies to you know, train people in their locations while bringing them in here? I mean, did you, are, are you hiring, are you sending your, you know, the supervisors of each division or are you actually bringing people on board to specifically train, you know, and, and, and follow up and maintain that type of education for, for those, for, you know, for the different offices and employees? So first, it's really probably one of the biggest challenges to have, and that's what I actually love to do. So <laughs> both companies they built before, and one of them I started from scratch, the other one was the fifth employee over there, so mm-hmm. I love to build a team, okay? And what you try to do is bring people at a certain pace, have them trained on everything you do, okay? So I think it's important for someone not to know only what they do, but to actually understand the company. So we do training with people that are going to hold everything that we do. Obviously, later on, they focus more on the specific position that they have, but they do the training usually here, okay? And if need be, we are sending people for continuous training internationally to other offices. But mm-hmm. it is a challenge. People are moving, there are many challenges on this. So, you know, it gets expensive, right? So this is, this is a segue into the next part, right? You guys did not raise a lot of funding, right? You're, 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 you're pretty much revenue finance, which is, for the, for the size that you are and for your growth, it is not an easy thing to do. Why did you decide to take a little outside investment? So I'm, we're a bit different on this point, and you know, I think sometimes if you raise more money, it would be much easier. Uh, but I believe that, first I believe in building green companies. Whenever we started to be not green, I found it that we started to be less efficient. Uh, and usually when you have too much money, you try to solve problem with just throwing more money and more people into it, instead of facing what really the problem is and try to solve the problem. So I believe in being green. I believe in also that it needs to be efficient. By the end of the day, 
if the company will go IPO, if the company will have the liquidation or whatever, we want to make sure that all the employees and everyone else will actually have something that uh, they can actually benefit from this. Most people don't really realize that there is a certain process to it. But generally, more than anything else, I believe in building link. I believe that company at certain age should be profitable, should make money, uh, kind of old-fashioned way. Got it. And so, you know, with that, right, with, with being lean and really just reinvesting the, the revenue, I mean, have you had years where you were like, okay, it wasn't as great as we thought, we just have to really keep it a little bit more down, your growth slowed, and then you were able to pick up later on. And when that happened, did you guys were, just, were you worried? Were you like saying maybe something's broken? So first, worried, yes. And if I say to you that I never worried, uh, you know, you can't be as honest as worried. <laughs> I think it's part of my job as a CEO is to be worried. And, but on the financial side, part of the advantage, and you need to understand, you know, we understand it, but for whoever is not to understand the business model or the structure of the VCs, I think most of them don't plan to put one-time money and just go up. Okay? Mm-hmm. Most of them plan to put a third of what they really want to commit and then another half or another to third of it later on. Mm-hmm. Okay? So I knew that if we need more, we have more. Okay? I wasn't as concerned about, you know, necessarily even need to raise it externally. Okay? I just knew that if I need to, we'll be able to make it. So yeah. I knew that I have this cushion in a way that if I want to, I can get it. And so in this regard, I was lucky. I was also raised the money very early, you know, in a presentation. So it wasn't that bad. Got it. And so can you give us, just so people understand how big you are, a range of, re- of revenue? I'm not looking for, sp- I mean, did you, are you triple digits in revenue? Are you, I mean, because again, I mean, and this goes to how big you are now. I mean, so this so, is something where, you know, even before we get there, how many, how many employees do you have now? We have about 100 people today in the company. Okay. Uh, I never measure the company by the amount of people that we have, which is also different because I'm, I have goosebumps when I'm hearing people saying that my goal is to move from 100 people to 400 people this year. That shouldn't be the goal. Okay, and I heard it before. Uh, the goal is, hey, that's what they want to do product-wise, that's what they want to do business-wise, and what's the amount of people that they need to get, and who's the people that they need, more than the amount of people that they need. And so it was a different view on this, both my partner and I, and luckily we stick by it, and wherever we don't stick by it, we feel that we need to change it back. Mm-hmm. So we have offices in different places, we have... How many, how many, how many offices do you have today? We have two in the U.S., Two in China, one in India, one in Kiev, and one here. Got it. So, nice. And, and 100 employees throughout. Yes. Got it. And, you know, so, and, and how many, you know, SDKs do you have at the moment? I mean, we, we know you're, you know, people, Google and Facebook number one and two. I mean, what's three? You know, how, how big are you guys? So, we have... Uh, as of now, in terms of down, well, we have 700,000 apps that have integrated with us, about 300,000 apps that are still alive, because a lot mm-hmm. of the applications don't leave more than 6 to 12 months, regardless of what you do. Uh, we have more than 22 billion downloads of our SDK until now, and um, we have a few hundred million apps with our SDK today. Got it. Worldwide, 
Got it. And, you know, what are some of the apps, the, the bigger ones that are, are integrated so people understand, like, what, you know... So we have some of the bigger apps as well, but what really makes us unique is actually that we are serving the small to mid-sized publishers. Because we are not chasing the biggest one. Mm-hmm. The biggest one on the publisher side, we get few, but that's really Google and Facebook are um, gearing very well. What we are really looking for is the small to mid-sized publishers and serving them the best. Got and you know how many how many apps do you onboard on a monthly basis about twenty thousand twenty thousand that's a nice amount <laughs> and and so um you know i I want to go back a, a second though um you know to you know you were CEO of sweet i am as well, and we didn't really touch upon that you know what were some of the differences that you saw from sweet i am to start at so i I think for me the biggest difference was. If that's really Sweden was a great one okay I joined the company with five employees mm-hmm. two founders uh, and zero revenue and I brought them to be the fastest company on the last past 500 over there and being totally profitable in three years so it's a great one for me um, but really the difference is if you have and that's what I learned from this is if you have unified agenda between the people around the table okay and over there, I had two founders which are great people but with different agenda about what they want to take the company to an investor that wanted to take it to a different place and I wanted to take it to a different place and that's not a good recipe for building something big and lasting so I wanted here to make sure when I actually look for my founder and when I look for my investors to make sure guys this is what we are aiming for you know we are not necessarily have to build the $500 billion company or go IPO, but we also are not going to build a company and sell it for $10 or $20 million. Okay, so this is what we are going to do, and this is the way that we operate. Got it. All right, so I appreciate that. And we're going to move on to, I think you guys did one acquisition so far, right? I mean... We did one acquisition that we published, and we did some couple of investment in others. And so when I think Kibo Mobile was the... So what was, what was your impetus to say, okay, well, you know, let's bring them on board. Let's, let's acquire them. Really? It's what I'm trying to do when you talk about DNA. I'm trying to bring people that are innovative in their mindset, that essentially want to be entrepreneur on their own, and that they can come with ideas. So Kibo, I actually got a first intro to them, but... I talked to the team here and there was someone here that fell in love into it. And someone that I really appreciate and he just fell in love into it. Mm-hmm. said, you know what, you fall in love into it, go to the due diligence. If that's work and we buy them for, you know, whatever we want to, you'll manage it. And we tried it. Uh, we ran with it for more than a year. It was a great product that wasn't easy to monetize and wasn't necessarily going forward with the direction that we want. So... Uh, We stopped selling it really, but I was very, very happy with people coming with ideas of what they want to do and push for it because I don't think you can be successful in any of them. But that's what's really coming from the people here. Got it. So you know, people bringing the ideas to you is something that you, you, you encourage. Yeah. And do you promote a lot from within? Are, are you like lateral movement within the company? Are you... Yes, a lot, actually more than, more than in a way I want. I think we should actually bring more from the externally. But generally speaking, we promote 
a lot of the people from in-house. We have many of the people that are in very senior position that came as student. Okay? Mm-hmm. One of the person that managed basically all the account today, and she's a VP and part of the management, was a student as account manager when she joined. Okay. So, you, so the loyalty factor is higher. It's not the loyalty necessarily. The loyalty is important. The loyalty is both ways. Both ways. It's people that actually feel good. I couldn't care less uh, what you are, what you know, where you come from, what you say. If you're really good and move and push, then, <laughs> then keep going. You have a home. Yeah. Got it. And so, um, you know, in terms of management decisions, what was one of the hardest ones you had to make, you know, at startup? Um, there had to be a bunch over the years. Oh, yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I think one of the last ones is you talked about the blockchain. And I love the space. And I think we had amazingly innovative product that, that can really work extremely well and can be a huge company. And we worked on it probably about a year and a half. And I think still the product is amazing. But... We couldn't support it, not necessarily financially, we couldn't support it in terms of attention. Uh, and it was me personally to make a decision do I want to manage this versus want to manage startup. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I chose to manage startup, so essentially it killed uh, practically the idea of doing the blockchain that we wanted to do. Okay. So that was hard, both hard. company-wise, because that's a lot of innovation and a lot of investment that was done financially. Uh, and that was also hard on the personal level because I needed to choose which, you know, which kid do I like more. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and, you know, were, were people in the company upset? Did you get pushback from it? You know, or you just like decided, you know, just pull the plug after that time and just re- redouble down on what you're, you know, keep your focus on, on, on your core? So when you reach a certain size, it's not like one size fits all and everyone are upset or not. Uh, there were people that were not as upset, especially the people that were upset, especially the people that actually worked on the project. Um, and there were people within startup that were actually happy because that's me and my partner and I hundred percent back and you know into startup and managing whatever we need over here. So it mm-hmm. was mixed. Got it. So, you know, what are some of the management skills that you find uh, are, are effective for you? That you that you, you know, are, are Constantly, you know, saying, "Okay, I, I this, you know, this is the key for me." So I'm, if I got it right, I'm. We're trying to be very transparent and work a bit differently. I'm, you know, I don't have an office in the company. You're sitting in one of the very few offices that actually has a door. There's no noise for this reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, you can hear music uh, throughout the day. Sometimes you can see full transparency of people. You know. No differences in terms of where they sit or what they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, paycheck may be different, but that's yeah. fine. But you don't feel lucky in a way that uh, that you see in many other places. Uh, and make sure and try to make the effort that people will communicate as freely as possible. And it's not easy. No, that's for sure. That's for sure. Now, communication is always a challenge. Um, did you have a mentor or someone that you turned to advice throughout the years? So I had mentor in the beginning. Now I find it more that I have a couple of, I would say, friends, colleagues that are founders and CEOs of companies because it's a very rare position that, um, in a way, you're surrounded by hundreds of people on the other hand, you're by yourself because 
too many decisions are coming to me, more than I actually want to. And so kind of need to talk to people who have been in the same position. Got it, understood. Um, so we're going to wind down you know, now. So what do you want to be when you were 15? I'm going to the direction now. I think kind of the same, just in a bigger company. I always thought, you know, hey, I want to run a big company. I always want to do business with, you know, the IBMs of the world. Now I realize that it's the farthest I want to go to. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. But, but I think business was always something that I wanted to go to. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Did, did, was your, one of your parents in business? Did you? Not at all. Not at all. I have a family. This is, this is before Shark Tank, by the way. So like, to, you know. no, totally before. My father... Uh, Work in the factory. My mom was a manager in high school. My brothers both are medical doctors. <laughs> the education was always strong in the family, but wasn't. Not business was totally foreign language. Got it. And you know, is there something that you, a habit or something that you do on a daily basis that keeps you focused, that keeps you on top of your game? So I'm first. I'm trying to do sport because, and I'm trying to do some aggressive sport because that helped me to, you know take stuff out in a different place. So I, like, like boxing or like, like boxing, I do kickboxing today and I'm playing soccer, not as good as I used to, but I'm playing <laughs> soccer. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, I play soccer as a company. Okay, so okay. most of the all the team are people that either work today in the company or work in the past in the company and we are playing together uh, for a few years and I did the same in my previous company and it works great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I try to do sport. And I'm trying to set my day usually of what I want to accomplish today because otherwise I would just suck into my emails and I, once I delete 10, I'm getting 20 new ones. So it's always like what I want to achieve for the day and try to focus on this. Got it, got it. And, you know, do you listen to any podcasts? No. You know, outside, no. outside of plugged in, let me tell you yeah. right now. Yeah. This will be the first podcast. So, <laughs> so uh, I want to listen to more, but... First, luckily, my commute to work is very short, so I usually don't really have the time to really focus on podcasts. And I read more than actually listen to podcasts. Okay. If I really want to get out of, you know, yeah. uh, out of the system, I actually read some books. Well, what, what, are the, what are a couple of books that you're reading now that you read? Uh, so now I'm reading the Roman that, uh, novel that on, uh, happened in the area of, like, in Russia, in the era of Stalin, mm-hmm. okay, which is kind of interesting to see different vibes and different uh, uh, terms. I read Shantan before that was actually kind of interesting because I went to India at the same time a few times, so that was very interesting. Uh, Ex- different books. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time. It was great to learn and talk more with you about startup and, you know, how you got here. Um, and enjoy. Thanks a lot. Love this episode of the Plugged In Podcast? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you for listening to C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.